Hi, my name is Mary Spender and welcome to Series 2, Episode 5 of Tuesday Talks. This series will consist of 10 interviews in total with some of my favourite musicians. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast, wherever you may be. Remember, you can catch the full video interview on my YouTube channel too. This week I chat to Nare Sol, a Juilliard-trained pianist-composer who you might already be aware of due to her creative and knowledgeable videos on YouTube about classical composers, practice and different music genres. I can't recommend her as Digested by a Classical Musician series enough, so head over to her channel and subscribe. This whole series is brought to you by DistroKid, my favourite music distribution service, which gets your music into online stores and streaming platforms, and they've been a huge supporter of my channel and this podcast. There is a link in the show notes for you to get 7% off your first year. So let's get into the show. Tuesday. 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 Tuesday talks. Well, let's start with this in general as like the first question. In terms of mistakes making videos, What's like the most painful story you can share? <laughs> most painful story? I'm not sure I have a single one, but there are recurring mistakes that happen all the time. And it's, it, it always has to do with audio. I would record something, spend all this time. I have the camera set up, the recording devices ready, and, and I would just focus on the playing part and I would realize only towards the end that something was wrong with the audio and it's unusable. Maybe I said it incorrectly or the battery ran out, I didn't notice. I would just get really, um, really focused during the recording session, just wouldn't realize something went wrong. And then I would just, just have to redo it. There's no way around that for me, so. I just had that this morning. Um, last night I was just trying to hit a deadline that I still haven't hit. And um, I, I put my Zoom on, and I was recording acoustic guitar, put my Zoom on a tripod rather than a stand. And the, the little like tripod plate rattled. So the, the hour of acoustic guitar recording, I did all the audio it looks great. The video was great. But yeah, the rattle was just obviously completely unusable. And just sort of waking up this morning and being like, okay, you just got to do that again. That's fine. I mean, we all have plenty of time stuck indoors right now. So <laughs> Yeah, for sure. How are you coping with it all? I know that some people are going through really, really tough times. It's uh, we're, we're still allowed to go out and exercise. Um, but yeah, the stores are uh, are. It's it's just really strange, really, really surreal. How about you? Are you in New York? I'm in Toronto right now. I, I managed to escape New York just in time. And it wasn't so intentional, but it happened with the right timing. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad that I'm not there right now. But I'm also just terrified for New York. And that's where I've been living. So I, I'm actually kind of in limbo. I'm not really sure where where to go, what to do. I came to Toronto to record an album and I'm just kind of stuck here because all of that has been postponed and my plans were to, to after Toronto, go to Berlin and then California and uh, going to Europe is out of the question. Going to California where my parents live is also out of the question for the time being because my parents are, um, they're not in great health, especially my dad. So 
getting on a plane, risking, you know, getting the virus and then going there is not uh, really going to happen. And plus the borders are temporarily closed. So it's really strange. It's so unbelievably surreal. I know that's basically what everyone is saying, but I I made a video about it just a, a few weeks ago when it was just starting to hit and I didn't even expect it to get this far. Um, it, it's it's just so surreal. Yeah, with with all the cancellations and everything, how have you been affected that way? Other so the album recording has been affected, but were you what were you doing in Berlin? It was part of the recording. I was supposed to record solo uh, piano at uh, at the Bulez Hall and also do some video collaborations with a group that performs there. That was cancelled and some other lectures that I had going because this this season was kind of um dedicated for these these mini lectures and um master class type sessions that i had planned because last year it was all my time was dedicated towards a project that i did with pbs and so i just pushed all of my live events to now until the end of uh, summer but those are all cancelled what what do you think what do you think you're going to do with your time in you know while you while you wait to record F for that project i just it's on hold i'm going to revise certain pieces just because i'm 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 kind of like that if i have more time with something i'll just double check and see if i want to change anything because a lot of my own music um there there is definitely improvisation involved but there's a specific structure and there are specific sections where I have everything written out and I have it specifically set up um, and I learned it that way so I'll go back and revise some of that and in the meantime with all of these cancellations I have plenty of deadlines to chase for commissions so I'll just work on those and and those were much long-term um, deadlines but I'll just push push them forward and keep myself busy and also make videos I guess <laughs> so it's a kind of an on and off thing for me with videos but I definitely am consistent with it on a larger scale <laughs> well by being so multifaceted with all the different things you've got going on how how do you when someone asks you what you do what's what's the the first thing you say I'm a musician. I was expecting sort of composer or performer or something like that, but yeah, musician makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think the first reaction would be I'm a musician, and if someone wants to know more specifically, I'm a pianist and composer. And I feel like if you're a musician of any kind these days in the modern world, it involves a lot of things. So I don't think I'm that special in terms of doing you know, video stuff, teaching, writing, performing, recording, a mixture of everything. I just feel like the more time progresses with all this modern technology and the changing landscape of, of the music industry, I feel like it's pretty necessary. Yeah, how about you? Also musician, but then I, then I move on to sort of singer-songwriter. Um, yeah, YouTube is probably like the last thing I say. Why is that? I don't know. It's not, I'm not ashamed of being called a YouTuber if people want to call me that. It's just, you know, it's the shortest thing I've been doing. So I, I imagine for you, studying classical music since, you know, probably at what, what early age did you start? Around seven. 
seven, right? So since seven, you have been a musician. Um, and how, how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? I'm, I'm almost 29. You're almost 29. Yeah. Okay, so I'm 29. Okay. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, it, it kind of, it just feels like the newest thing to me. Um, but it just allows me to, like, you know, last night with the mistake I was making, uh, recording the guitars, and when I figured it out, I kind of had to sit with myself this morning and be like, okay, but you get to play guitar for a living via all this, all this stuff. So this isn't exactly that painful to do again. <laughs> I feel like going back to what we were saying about mistakes, sometimes the mistakes that we make during a recording, whether it's just for audio or a video project, the most painful mistakes we forget about really quickly because they're easily fixed. And the mistakes that we don't realize we're making because we're so preoccupied with the, the certain details in the process of doing it, they kind of stick around and they're, they're long lasting. So I think it's, it's just hard in general to be so aware to catch all of everything that's going on. And the nature of what we do involves a lot of perfectionism. So it's a constant struggle. Yeah. And well, also just a lot of things going on at the same time. So I, I've spoken about this with other musicians who are running YouTube channels, but there might be touring musicians and, you know, like trying to document something whilst you're trying to get a performance, whether it's in your studio, whether it's on stage, it's just, you know, you, you end up dividing your attention. So it's way more likely that something's going to go wrong and that's okay. And actually you just come up with a formula. Like I know now to check my microphone, check my camera and like check the timer and just like, you know, you just come up with those sort of shortcuts to make sure that those mistakes happen uh, fewer, fewer and far between. But yeah, sometimes it it's even more painful when they actually happen less now because you're like, ah, I've done this before. <laughs> right, right. And also when they do happen, just being kind to yourself. It usually creates something better as well. Like this morning I knew which camera angles worked and which ones definitely didn't and yeah, you just move on. But how would you apply that to studying and then performing classical music? Performing classical music. Um, any any embarrassing on stage stories, mistake wise? Sure. I mean, that's again, it's <laughs> there are too many to count. <laughs> but I, I'll I'll put it this way: there have been very few, if not any, performances where I walked off stage thinking, "Great, that was fantastic." <laughs> So I think it's just a matter of how how many things that did I feel uncomfortable about and also being so aware of, you know, things that went wrong or mistakes that I made. I feel like that in it of itself is not something ideal because that means that I was focusing on certain details and not being present as a performer on stage. So maybe this is just... Um, overthinking things on stage and around stage but it's always been a struggle to perform and I think recently I'll, I'll just because it's it's easier to remember things that were recent um, about a year and a half ago now I performed at this convention in Germany and it involved speaking and playing and without going into the details, the performance aspect of 
the whole event was not my greatest. And that left a huge, um, huge scar on me because, as you know, <laughs> we're always as good as our, our most recent performance. And I really did not feel comfortable in any way. I didn't feel comfortable on stage after, uh, after uh, you know, coming off, the, off stage. I didn't feel like I remembered anything that I played. I didn't feel emotionally expressive, anything. It just, everything was off. And um, I largely attribute it to the lack of preparation in general, but also com trying to com combine talking and performing. For me, I realize is very difficult um, at that level of, or at that um, uh, scale, because of course, when I'm teaching or doing a lecture, I could definitely combine the two. But if I'm really just performing, I want to focus on that and not anything else. And it's hard for me to switch gears. And this was sort of um, like a TED talk meets performance. And I was so nervous about the speaking that I just couldn't switch gears. So anyway, long story short, that was a big, <laughs> big mistake or big, uh, a very painful memory for me. And since then, I've sort of performed less because I knew that last year I, I was focusing on videos with PBS. So um, I think that was the catalyst for making that kind of decision. And now this year I've uh, planned uh, for myself to come back to performing. Um, at least that was the plan, but right now I'm just kind of on hold. Yeah, it's it's out of your control right now. Everything you just said then is is the mentality that I also grew up with um, because I played viola and uh, study studied that at university. So I had all the jokes, all the viola jokes. Don't you worry. Um, and the the you're only as good as your last performance thing. It's it's very difficult when it comes to being, you know, because I wasn't um, in a professional orchestra, just sort of university orchestras. So you'd have a culmination period where at the end of each term, you'd have that final concert and then you'd have to wait three months till your next concert. So if you had a bad performance or whether it was, you know, a recital or something like that. And it was I was just I was a terrible soloist, loved uh, chamber music and orchestras, uh, but but. Yeah, solo-wise, I was just terrible. Bow shake, all the nerves, sweaty palms. Had to get um, beta blockers from my doctor because I just knew that I would be too anxious performing. So I can't imagine actually having to... Uh, once you get to a certain level, like your level, and then being told to public speak at the same time, when you already have an audience that's there ready and waiting. So you can't sort of start from the beginning again. So you can't be like, okay, well, I'm new to public speaking. So I'll have one person in the audience at first and then, you know, maybe a few more or like they might be students or, you know, they might not be quite so, um, I don't know, it, it might, the, how do I describe it? It just might not be as um, important but it's a, a good learning curve like as you go through it. But once you're out of university and out of that sort of education process, having to suddenly do TED Talks in front of, like, was it, was it a live audience and just like, how, how, how many people was it? Um, I don't know the, I don't know how the, the people 
the attendance amount, but it was uh, maybe close to a thousand. I don't know. Just a lot of a lot of people. Oh my god! A lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I guess you need to be kind to yourself about that. Like, if that was one of the first times you've ever really done that. Yeah, I think I psyched myself out more than anything else. And also, it's it's strange coming from a, a world where I was so focused on the performance aspect of, of things in the classical realm, because I hold myself to a certain standard with anything coming, uh, anything to do with performing or uh, a project or anything. So I think it's it's quite ambitious to apply it to everything that I'm also new to, like you said. Um, so it's just, it's a, it's a learning, <laughs> it's a learning process. And now I know I'm very careful about any, anything that I sign on to moving forward. Um, very careful about balancing that and, and being aware of how much I can handle of each, uh, each kind of, of thing that I do on stage, because I'm not a natural performer at all. I'm, uh, just, I'm not, yeah, I, it doesn't come easy to me. I've learned to deal with it and I've conditioned myself to understand how to function on stage. I think just through training and persistence throughout all the years, but that was always a struggle um, in school, out of school, and I've also learned to embrace it. So it's not like I dread performing, period. I, there are elements of it that I really enjoy, but it does not come easy to me at all. It's also a very different kind of performance, like perform whether it's your own composition or, you know, other kinds of classical music. It's just, it's so, um, it's held in such high regard. The audience is dead silent. Um, the the auditoriums are different. Like it's it's very different to say doing an open mic or, you know, like a you know. So it's just I completely understand. And thinking about it, I just remember all the anxieties I had before performing uh, at at school, at university, or whatever. But just it's just a very different way of holding yourself. That kind of performance, which not many people nowadays understand unless you've gone through that because they'll be used to performing you know pop music rock music it's much more informal um which is you know why also uh that sort of side is so popular you know people being able to like you know you can barely it, as an audience goer in those sorts of situations you can barely sip a drink or like move without being scared of like having the judgment maybe of someone next to you because everything needs to be just about the performance and no distractions and you know so I just totally understand how about as a singer songwriter what are some things that you would describe as maybe performances or events that went terribly wrong what what types of things would go into that category I've made all the mistakes so that I I'm I'm still nervous because I still care and I think that's the important thing like if you're if you're getting nervous and anxious about something it's because you really you've put so much effort into it of course you want to do well um and you want to offer something to your audience but with pop music or as a singer-songwriter it's it's still incredibly nerve-wracking of course especially um 
going up on stage or I actually find playing in a band sometimes more nerve wracking. And my most recent show was a, a full band gig in December in London. And um, I'd been very, very ill the the week before in the run up. And I walked on stage not really having practiced my solo set before the full band set because we'd been in full band rehearsals, getting that sort of hour and 10 minutes down. And then I was like, oh, I'm being my own support act. I'm playing new songs and just walking on and thinking, okay, all the hours of all the pub gigs I did, all the bar gigs I did for four hours where sometimes I'd print out a tab, not really knowing the song and challenge myself to just perform it live in front of, you know, people who were getting drunk and not really caring. But all that sort of practice and all those horrible mistakes that I made in front of those people kind of benefited this later performance but then I got up on stage and during soundcheck the guitars had been too loud so I put my guitar amp on a, on a different setting that I wasn't used to but I I thought I was doing it I thought I was doing it properly for the sound engineer and then it just meant that my guitar was too quiet the whole gig and I enjoyed every second of that gig, but just having that level of anxiety being like, why is my guitar not working? Not really, not realizing I'd made the change. I just came off and I just beat myself up about it for the next week. And it was just like, at the moment, that was my last gig. So that's where I'm at. And luckily the audience didn't seem to notice or they weren't telling me because I, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to complain about it. I didn't want to get off stage and be like, Ah, that was terrible. I couldn't hear my guitar. I didn't want to do that because that's also the first thing you learn. It's like, if you make a mistake, don't tell anyone about it because usually they actually won't notice or you might, you might ruin their perception of, of the performance. But yeah, just, it's a strange balance. And it's actually quite, it's why I love making videos because like you can get it to a certain level of you know obviously it's not always perfect and sometimes you just have a deadline that you have to hit but you can get it to a certain level where you're like okay this is the best I can do right now and it's scalable whereas a one by one performance you can just have a rough day and you can be so well prepared sometimes and just have a bad day like anything so and that's also the charm of it but it's it's tricky how did you start getting into video making I my my dad had a camcorder when I was very young so I just always like stole his video gear made music videos with friends that's what I like about music in general like the idea of collaborating it with video is so natural um especially when you're an aspiring little singer songwriter like I was at 14 15 um and yeah yeah just you know three years ago I was just like I'm not doing very well in music um I wasn't getting uh, any attention from labels or like streaming plays were very, very low and social media in general was quite low, but I wasn't really doing it well enough. So I just started finding the music community on YouTube and just started making videos. <laughs> How about you? Uh, a similar, similar story. I just, I think videos and playing really merge well together and just being a part of this generation I didn't really think twice about why exactly I'm doing it or why exactly I started my first video but I thought it was a neat way to document what I was doing because I started at a time when 
I was for the first time really out of school and exploring different genres, different things within music that I, I didn't focus on before and I wanted to just keep track of that. I didn't have a teacher or a mentor really closely examining what I was doing so I, I thought it'd be a fun and effective way to just really keep things organized and give myself a little bit of structure. Uh, and then it, it just kind of evolved from there, but in the beginning I, I really loved putting little stop motion animations. I was really into that because I love photography and I would give myself little, little projects with different household objects and then I would uh, put music onto that and then include it in like a little daily vlog of practicing, that sort of thing. I think the uh, when I was at university, which was probably a similar time around to because you've did you study at Juilliard first? So was that when you were sort of 18, 19? Yeah. Um, so if we're very similar age, I, I went to uh, university at 19. And um, for those three years, like I I didn't you know, it was before like really good cameras were affordable like they are now so I'm very glad I didn't document what am I glad I'm maybe I'm a little bit sad that I didn't document all the hours I spent in a practice room um but the thing I feel about classical musicians now um and and the way it's it's so time um it's such it's such an intensive thing to be part of to be the best in your field you have to you, you just have to put so many more hours in um, than any other kind of music. And um, yeah, just in terms of like practice and like really honing your craft and your instrument and studying and, and years and years of training. And, and I just, I think it's incredible that you're able to show that and then also make stories out of it. And then, you know, I love your, your digested series and just, that sort of thing and like really giving a, a a down-to-earth perspective on other genres without being patronizing or anything like you know I, I know it's sad to say but sometimes classical musicians can be seen as quite s snobby um does that does that ring true sure yeah I well first of all I I am definitely a part of the classical music world still and have been and um, and yet, I, I don't, it's hard for me to completely identify as a classical musician these days, just because the nature of what I've been doing has been shifting more towards uh, just creating my own space with my own approach, my own music. And maybe the best way to describe it is an in-between, between, um, closer, but an in-between between, between uh, classical music and certain other genres, maybe jazz. I'm not, uh, I, I'm a beginner at jazz, but um, just creating a little pocket that um, is close enough to classical music where I draw from that culture still, but I'm far enough away from it that I can see um, certain pros and cons of the whole culture and what you said definitely exists uh there there's a lot of kind of uh snobbery about 
judging different types of music and um, blinders. <laughs> because to be fair though, it's, it's necessary, like you said, to bring your craft up to the level that is required to maintain a performance career, to be able to participate in the classical music world. Uh, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of just complete focus and you really don't have time for anything else, which is why I knew that it wasn't for me in its pure form, because uh, I tried that and it just, it, 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 it's, it's not something that I wanted and it's not that something that made me happy or excited uh, about as a musician. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it applies to every industry. There is always there's always a level of snobbery somewhere along the lines um but you know time will tell it's just like p the people who are more resilient in industry are usually the ones who are looking always at what's new what's coming around the corner um developing their own artistry becoming their own artist and what you're doing is just like you know you're you're putting yourself out there um it's kind of like this sort of equity idea that you're you're putting your name to something rather than rather than necessarily just focusing on making um a living from playing other people's music you're making something of your own and then you know pairing it with a youtube channel and then the pbs videos like it's just sort of adding different strings to your bow and it's just it's i think it's really inspirational i think it's it's you know with the climate right now it's kind of the only way to be doing it securely and safely because there has been this thing that musicians can have careers until they're age 90 like and literally until they pass away and that's incredible but if there's no demand to see those musicians live or people physically aren't allowed to leave their homes then where are they going to look they need to look online and if it's done in an educational manner that's approachable um, and kind of forgiving to your audience, like you have to be able to cater to quite a lot of different people. Um, because, by the way, I think you're great at that. Thank you. Thank very, very. Uh, it's because I don't really know anything, so <laughs> I never, I never profess to be an expert in anything. And then I'm just like, yeah, let's start from the beginning. That's that's where I do know <laughs> something. No, but I think when you're presenting something, whether it's. Uh, at whatever level of musicianship or complexity, you're still you're still presenting something to uh, an audience that you're not quite sure who they are. Because of course you 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 have an idea, a general idea of who watches your videos, but when you're actually making the video, uh, it's it's a it's an unknown and it's almost like a, a monologue with. An imaginary audience in mind but that can constantly shift and uh, form in different ways but you're very good at including a lot of people in that and presenting it in a way where it's um, it's so easy to follow wherever you you um, come in does that make sense? Well, I I would honestly say the same thing for you because there's a lot of stuff that I've forgotten um, 
since finishing studying because I just I knew at age 22 that I wasn't going to pursue classical music any further I wasn't going to do a master's um I I was just really going to try and do the whole singer-songwriter thing and there's so much I've forgotten that you know you put things in just like a it's just it's just very well communicated so this is just us you know rubbing each other's egos about like how how incredible (laughs) we are but um I think no you're (laughs) no you are Uh, I think it's I think it's important for musicians who are looking at this whole thing to remember that if you start saying well obviously well obviously about something it's actually probably not obvious to somebody. So I've started, I, I write scripts now for my videos to make sure I'm just doing everything. I used to go a little bit off script and it just took a lot of time to actually edit those videos into something. So I'm trying to be a bit more prepared as you know, that, that helps. Um, and I do find myself going, well, obviously this is like this and this is like this. And then I'm like, no, it might not be obvious. And is it even that obvious to me? Like if I was just looking at this, you know, because I've been thinking about this idea of cultivating this video and coming up with a story and and teaching myself how to communicate it to the best, to my best ability. But someone who clicks on this video has only seen that idea for a split second before they start watching it and start learning about the subject. So I did a video on a fretless guitar and um, I just thought, okay, do you know what? I I really want this to be accessible to everyone. Like what if someone doesn't even know what a fret is? talk about it and I did see in the comments that someone had been like don't you think for a guitar channel people probably don't need to have that explained but 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 that was one person out of however many people that watched it who who might not have known and it's just like to that person I kind of want to be like you just don't know who's watching like you might you might have a little idea YouTube tells you the statistics of their age and their gender um and their location but it doesn't tell you their qualifications it doesn't tell you like what level of musician they are um they could be a 15 year old that has tons of classical music experience as opposed to a 50 year old that's just you know just taking up the guitar like you can't put anyone in a box so um there's also nothing that is ever lost from going to the fundamentals and even when I'm teaching or talking about harmony or composition to um, non-beginners, sometimes I like p- just pointing out, okay, let's start with the very basics. How many pitches are we dealing with if you're not dealing with microtones? Um, and maybe as a pianist when I'm teaching or, or even putting together a video, a lot of times I just scale it back and say, okay, Look at the piano. There are white keys and there are black keys. And the black keys are higher in terms of physical location on the instrument. And these things seem very basic, basic, basic. But um, oddly enough, you know, surprisingly enough, these things can really make a difference sometimes in re, uh, refocusing what you're paying attention to. And it's, there's never anything lost in going back to that. I, I, I will admit I used to be quite judgmental, is that the right word, in terms of um, teaching. Like I didn't want to teach when I was younger and I I knew that. I just It just wasn't of interest to me. And now all I realise is like 
if you can communicate something by teaching it, then you actually have a true understanding of it. And if you can't teach it, then you don't, you don't actually know. And if you can't say it out loud, you really do not understand it. And that freaked me out so much that I was like, oh my God, I really need to take a look at myself and, and figure out what do I actually know? And it's, I started going back to the basics with guitar because, you know, you, you, play the things that you're comfortable with you write in the style that you're comfortable with um but there are some things that you might just not know and it's like I was self-taught because I was taking classical music uh, music lessons um and because I was self-taught I just skipped all the boring bits that I found boring in classical music and then I just realized I didn't know simple things like the pentatonic scale for a guitarist is like pretty much the only scale you need to know <laughs> um obviously that's you know for some people uh and and I didn't know it and it's just like for for many years and just going back to those basics is just yeah I couldn't agree more someone so versatile like you and coming from different approaches and working on different types of projects what type of work do you do separate from making videos or recording um, on your own in the practice room <laughs> your living room wherever you practice um, in order to keep up your skills as a musician or uh, learn new things new new pieces um, what 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 does your routine look like for a long time i didn't have one um and it's only since i went full-time uh last year that i actually again took a long hard look at myself and was just like if you're if you're in the online space and you're being you're not necessarily being compared to other guitarists but you're definitely once you have an audience you're put in that sort of bracket of someone who might be way more proficient than you so um full-time meaning full-time youtubing online. yeah online yeah, and stuff okay um and and it was just it was time management my time management was poor and everything like that so now I, I'm not very good at, um, I like having, I like setting myself a challenge. So figuring out the best way that I learn. And the, the first thing I ever wanted to do on the guitar was learn songs. So I, I'm, I'm always trying to choose a song that will take like months and months and months to learn and arrange. And I'm working on one right now that's just, I'm just tabbing it out and just working out exactly how I play it and, and that sort of thing. And just, you know, just again, it's kind of like going back to the, always go back to the basics and just see what you've forgotten and then tabbing out stuff and and really understanding my right hand as opposed to what what's happening in my left hand and like just stuff like that. I haven't really paid that much attention to, but I'm glad I'm doing it now. I just it's it's never too late to really start um it's just like how you started making videos like it's like okay what am I missing what can I see in a video that I'm not seeing and the videos that I do um about strange guitars and uh for the YouTube channel it's always a a learning curve of like okay do I need to sit down and write something right now like brand new or can I fall back on songs I've already written how do I want to demonstrate this instrument the best I can how much time do I have with the instrument is it on loan am I in a store you know all that sort of stuff so it 
it kind of all revolves around that and just like making sure I have enough new things to keep myself entertained as well as other people. But yeah, at the moment it's uh, it's just songs. I'm curious about what you said regarding time management. You said that you were not good at it and then you changed something. What exactly, how exactly did you improve your time management skills? It's become quite pernickety. Um, what does that mean? What, what's pernickety? Uh, it basically means I'm I'm being anal about it. <laughs> yeah, okay. so I've never heard yeah. I, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh my God, is that an English thing? Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting quite... Um, because, you know, when you have no one chasing you for things, although the YouTube sort of uh, schedule helps me put things in order and make, make uh, prioritize, I'm a notorious procrastinator like it's quite it's such a talent right like sometimes I I just realize how talented I am at procrastinating and it's just it's exhausting um so I've I I don't know I listen to guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and Tim Ferriss where they're always you know talking about how many hours they work a day and I just started writing down like how many hours am I actually working and what does that work look like? Like, is guitar practice work? It kind of is, but it's a different kind of work. So I'll differentiate guitar practice to creative video making or music making or songwriting. And then technical stuff like emails, podcast editing, um, uh, you know, like all the other things that go on behind the scenes, uh, even uh, putting like planning and time management and video ideas into all that sort of stuff and just breaking it down and just seeing how I spend my hours in a day it's really helped I've been doing it solidly for the last two months and um yeah it's and where do you keep track of everything uh, a note a notepad I'm old I'm old school have to have to have to write it down um yeah I did have a whiteboard for a bit but that kind of, I, I wasn't updating it in here and there, you know, so I just just keep it in the notepad now. And then it's like a bit if more I, private. If I had a place for, what was that? It's more private? Yeah, so that people can't see how crazy I am when they come into my apartment. I was going to say if I had space or um, somewhere where I could put a whiteboard, I would totally do that. I think whiteboards and chalkboards are awesome. Just, just having that space, that visual. It really helps. I'm, I'm very visual. Um, I mean, I guess most video makers. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, how about you? Like, how do you discipline yourself to become the musician that you are? Like, from the age of seven, I imagine you've had a pretty rigorous routine. Uh if it, it's. It's always fluctuated over the years, but especially surrounding my university years, conservatory years, um, my work was very intense. The practicing thing, keeping up, uh, just a quantity of practice, uh, which was the primary focus, I feel like, throughout those years, was a challenge. And I didn't really do much else. Um, besides, you know, these little art projects that I made for myself, whether it was drawing or 
taking pictures. That those were the two main things that I really spent a lot of time on outside of practicing. But even when I was really uh, focused and just putting in so much practice time, I always wanted to do other things. So as soon as I just had the freedom to do so, um, I really slacked off for uh, some time. And and this slacking off for some people means um, something else. Or everyone has a different amount of work they put in where they consider themselves to be slacking off. But in relation to what I was doing before, I had some time where I felt like I was not being productive at all. And so in, I think, about a year and a half ago, I started to, like yourself, be a little more specific in terms of tracking what I do and being aware of where I spend spend my time. And I just use a spreadsheet, a simple spreadsheet, where I have little blocks in terms of, um, you know, little categories of what type of work I'm doing, whether it's writing music or practicing a piece, um, classical music, or just something technique focused or something for a video. Um, So I have all these columns and I just log in how much time I spent on it and I color code everything so that um, I'm not focused on the exact details, but overall, you know, say that after a month's worth of logging, I can look at this sheet and have a general sense of where my time has been spent, just just by the colors. And then um, if that was intentional, I feel like I'm on track or I know I'm on track. And if that's different than what I had planned, maybe just as an agenda uh, on the side, then I know that I've I haven't been too exact about where I'm where I'm spending my time. Um, but I feel like a lot of these categories are under the umbrella of just music work. Um, I haven't gotten to the point where I include a lot of work outside of music um, into this picture so that I'm organized with it. For example, editing videos, um, researching for videos, all of that is just put into one giant column of things. And I feel like to really be properly, to, to properly organize that, that should probably be much more specific. Um, yeah, but you've, you've got your priorities right in terms of like, it's all about the music and, you know. For the time being, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's hard because a lot of times I, I forget about things that I want to be doing musically, um, going back to classical music, you know, I don't have the type of projects lined up for me and the types of deadlines to ensure that I keep up my classical performing and practicing. That doesn't mean that I don't want to do it, but it's just not pressing. So a lot of times I forget about it until I look at, you know, the general sheet. um, And then I realize, oh, it's been two weeks since I've opened up the Bach books and Chopin and and then I I remind myself this is something that is really crucial to my my vitality as a musician and so then I I bring myself back to it Um, without that I there's just there's so many things going on in my mind that even the things that I really care about I forget about and that's strange because you know you, you would feel like 
you would remember things that you really care about? Uh, well, uh, is, is that strange? Because I, I do think, like, I, I've got a, um, I use this, uh, it's by the Swiss designer. I wish I remembered her name. It's an incredible piece of software. It's so basic. It's called To Do, and it's spelled T T E U X D E U X, like To Do. T. Oh, it's it's okay. really sweet. It's really really sweet. And is it an app or online? So it's an app and a desktop thing. So you can set it as your homepage, and it just all comes up, and it's just your week. And again, it's it's good for people who are forgetful. And I I started it. Um, in 2016 when I was I was starting the YouTube channel properly and like reminding myself to go and comment on people's videos and then I could tick that off uh, um, comment on comments on my videos and and then things like it's bad it's like ring your parents ring like ring your granny like things that you you care about you really really care about but they might just slip your mind or like the weekend might go and you just realize you need to do it and so I checked this app and I I've just you know they've got they've got two settings where it's like uh, i can't remember what the you can either go monthly or you can um i think it's like cynic and believer or something like that where it's like you can either pay monthly or you can pay for a year i, I, I think i think I i've got that wrong to to do dot com it's so it's so good i'm not getting i'm okay. i don't i'm not sponsored um no, I, I love these kinds of things. I mean, I like I said, I, I use a plain spreadsheet and I've refined how I put those columns uh, over the years and which colors I oh, use. Oh, yeah. Oh, I bet it's so good. I bet you could sell it, to be honest. Um, the, the best thing about to do is that you can write to remind yourself whether it's something you want to do every day or every week or every, uh, you know, bi-weekly um, or, or a month. And then you can have um, columns underneath that never recur and they just stay there. And that's, that's um, and that's where I put the things that I really, I want to do long-term, but, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. I, I've said this a lot in some of these interviews, but just realizing you only have 24 hours every day is like it's a weird it was a weird realization to me it's like no matter how successful no, no matter um how proficient you are in something like you'll never have more hours in a day and most of that is taken up with sleep eating you need to socialize sometimes um and although none of us can right now uh and <laughs> and you know you need to you need to run errands and you, you know there are so many things that take up that time so like how much time do you actually have to dedicate to certain things and like for me I, I I really set myself the challenge of learning Spanish and I just realized I was like okay I can chip away at it a little bit each day um but I'm really not going to be able to pay attention to this until you know maybe the end of the year maybe next year maybe maybe in the next five years like it's like forgive yourself that there are quite a lot of other things that we all need to be doing every day. Um, but just because you're not doing it now doesn't mean you're not ever going to do it. Sometimes learning things in a consistent yet micro dose kind of way, sometimes it works definitely for a lot of things. But I find that for learning a skill or something that you really want to uh, excel in, doing that could be oddly stressful sometimes because you feel like you just want to 
dive in and immerse yourself and give it all, give it your all. And so it's just really frustrating to stay there. And so then you, you end up not being consistent. And it's, I think in, in those cases, it's better to just find a time where you can do that. Um, and it'll probably maybe even be uh, efficient in terms of learning because then you can just go deep. Yeah, and, and it's learning that there are, you can actually have different ways of benefiting from something. So like for me, I, I want to do that. I want to dive in. I basically want to go and live in Spain for like three months. Learn. I want to learn flamenco guitar. Like I, I want to do that. That's like a big life goal. And I, I can't wait to um, maybe one day make that a possibility. Obviously not right now. But uh, the the other thing is like something like exercise. Like I had to learn how to exercise and really start taking care of myself and you know you can't spend 10 hours doing that a day like you really you really only have to start small so just figuring out like how do you want to approach something is it is it a life goal is it like a creative project or is it something that you actually just have to form into a habit and sadly like Spanish is probably something that I actually have to form into a daily habit even though I want to just dive straight in because otherwise you know I might do three months in Spain or something like that I'll come back and I'll forget it. Um, so, you know. Or just find a, a friend that speaks Spanish to you. I know, I know. I have a few friends who, yeah, so I just, you know, it's just one of those other things. But the trick there is to start getting to know them while speaking Spanish because what what is difficult is learning a language and you have a friend, both of you speak English and this other language. If you start off with English, it's super hard to switch. So I always uh, have kept that in mind in terms of, uh, not to say that, you know, I'm friends with some people just to speak a certain language. But, um, <laughs> if, if, you, if you are, you know, slightly going that route, um, I did notice that it's, it's very hard to switch over. So how many languages do you speak? Um, I speak English, Korean, a little bit of Spanish just from school and a little bit of French, enough to converse. Because I lived there, um, I actually, when I moved there, I did not learn, uh, I didn't know how to speak French before because everyone told me, um, because I was living in Paris, everyone told me that, oh, you'll be fine, don't worry. Everyone speaks English there nowadays. Uh, and. And it, while it is true, you can get by just by speaking English, the two teachers that I was set out to study with there, um, whom I only uh, contacted with via snail mail because they were that old school and that I should have known, um, they did not speak English <laughs> at all, both of them. They were in their 80s and... Um, both French and I just realized right away oh this was a mistake I you know like looking back on it it was kind of uh, foolish to just assume that my my reasoning was well they're very difficult to get a hold of which is why I have I've had such minimal contact with them and they're both international musicians um, so they <laughs> they must you know that that's foolish but um, I learned the hard way. But while while living in Paris, I tried to make friends just 
just to make friends, uh, which is a very difficult thing for me to do in general, but um, I had no choice. I found that even in person, there, there are people um, where I would meet them, and if I started in English, it was very difficult uh, to switch over to French. But those that I started off with in French, as horrible as it was and as many mistakes I was making, we just kind of kept that going. It's kind of strange. It's like a first impression thing. I asked my my patrons um, for some questions too. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Come on, load. And these are asked to for everyone that does a podcast. Um, these these ones are uh, from Patreon, so they're direct directed towards you. And then I'll I'll get onto the. Um, the ones I've got, I've just got four questions that I'm asking everyone to round off the interview. So, um, uh, but there was one really good one. Um, ba -da 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 -da. Okay. Right. So this comes from Mons. You have explored a great many different genres over the past few years. Are there any prejudices, structural reasons, as in the educational system, or other factors that you feel are hindering a closer cooperation between musicians or educators across genres? That's an in intense question. <laughs> yeah, well, that is a very intense question. Um, I think within the educational realm, the things that benefit us learning specifically in depth about a specific genre, it, it, those things make it in, inevitable for us to be very specific and um, not necessarily closed off, but just hyper-focused. And this is, like we talked about, much more intense in the classical genre, uh, among others. But um, because of this focused nature, it's hard to open the doors and, and widen that, that um, realm of perspective to include other genres because your focus is this here. Um, and I think uh, while this, this benefits learning um, what you're focusing on in depth, it's also a misconception because in order to learn this properly, to, to give it perspective in, in a way where you, you can compare it to other things, also include other approaches, um, it, it just benefits your overall approach to everything. Um, but it, this is hard to do because I feel like this, would, this type of system would have to be catered towards an individual with different types of learning preferences and different types of goals. So in order to cater to a wide range of students, um, how you, how we learn in conservatories and how these educational systems are laid out um, really caters towards the, the the first type, which is you know let's just focus on this, which is why you have um, different types of majors. You don't go into music school majoring in classical music, but with a, a curiosity in flamenco <laughs> or you know jazz, but with a little bit of uh, I don't know. I won't speak with jazz because I, I feel like jazz has this covered a little more because uh, it's not quite as narrow. But, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if, what, what schooling you did specifically, but um, I just feel like it's hard to 
check off all of these boxes. Um, I'm just giving a little, cutting a little, giving slack, cutting slack <laughs> uh, for schools because if I were to sit down and imagine a perfect educational system that for musicians that includes multi-genres, that would be very difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, it goes back to the whole thing of like, there's only so many hours in a day They're they're under strict instruction to get people to a certain level in a certain skill. And it's, it's yeah, it's next to impossible to get the balance of creating everyone like an incredibly well-rounded musician in all different types of genres. Like, obviously you have to focus. I think the only thing that people really can do and do for themselves is keep an open mind, um, which I think I, I imagine uh, with your help, with Adam Neely's help, um, musicians now who are using YouTube as a, a tool to learn uh, whether they're at school like I know that there are so many people at music school who are now watching YouTube and you know um, really trusting some of the music community to give them something that maybe their school isn't uh, yeah I, I think I think it's only going to get better in terms of like uh, all the all the cooperation mm -hmm. as Mon said uh, over the different genres could you maybe summarize or reread that question because I feel like there was something there that I that I missed he said are there any prejudices or structural well are there any prejudices uh, structural reasons as in the educational system or other factors that you feel are hindering a closer cooperation between musicians or educators across genres uh, the only thing I might add is that because of that structure it's hard to mingle cross genre and cross um, circle because and I think it has to do with human nature we all don't want to feel too awkward and get out of our comfort zones and I found that the first thing that I noticed about myself and my experience um, dipping into other genres was that I felt incredibly uncomfortable self-conscious and um, I didn't like that feeling at first because I, I was used to feeling at least a little secure in my little circle and jumping out of that and feeling like I'm making a fool out of myself um, was not fun um, at the time. So I think just avoiding that um, was just uh, the reason why I didn't do it sooner and I think it also applies to people that don't want to cross over and and explore. Mm, I can I can totally see that, and I I see that in so many musicians I do know. Um, uh, you know how much work you've put into becoming uh, the musician that you are to such a high standard, and all the qualifications you've um, gained along the way to then have to start from zero again in something that is obviously related but you know m music is just it's impossible to learn everything about everything all the time so it's it, you know it's it, it's actually probably one of my favorite things now and one of the things I realized that I didn't like about the education system that I was in where it was very you know very closed off closed-minded but I luckily I did an academic degree so we did choose different modules and the best thing about university for me as opposed to school like school was far more closed off when 
you'd expect that maybe to be a bit freer. Students are younger. Um, it, the, the stakes aren't quite as high as when and as obviously then you get to university level and it's it's all you know about getting a degree. Um, but then I got to university and I like I studied the Beatles for the first time, and I actually understood. I, it just suddenly all made sense to me, whereas it hadn't at school and school, they weren't very, they weren't even very happy with me playing rock music at my week on my weekends or the, uh, I had one teacher tell me to stop singing um, pop, pop songs because he thought I'd damage my voice, which was completely incorrect because I was like already a trained singer and in I went university? to my singing teacher. No, this was in it's school. In school. It's pre-university. So, yeah, pre-university, um, sorry, like from age 13 to 18, had a really tough time with my music teachers there because they didn't want me doing rock music. And then, and they kind of came around to it towards the end because I just wasn't giving up and I wasn't backing down. But then when I got to university, my lecturers and the professors, they were so happy with me having this other thing that kind of differentiated me from other students. And I felt like and this is terrible but I feel like the insecurity that lies around certain types of musicians and certain genres because this isn't just about classical music this comes you know it's definitely in the guitar world too if you have an insecurity about something you'll be more defensive about it you'll be less likely to own up to the things you don't know and then you'll possibly share that insecurity with your pupils uh, or your friends, your family, whatever, and your judgment on that certain thing. Whereas if you keep an open mind about everything and realize people love different stuff, some people aren't ever going to be interested in classical music and that's okay. Some people aren't ever going to switch from classical music to blues or, you know, dance or whatever. Like it's all okay just as long as those people aren't judging mm -hmm. each other like there's yeah. just no there's no need for that very well said <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah. can you tell i've thought about it <laughs> <laughs> it's an important thing about i mean but yeah you, you you said it so nicely okay let's get into uh the final final questions um which album or artist have you recommended to your friends and family the most hmm I would say the, the two Glenn Gould recordings of Goldberg Variations. They're, they're kind of, uh, I don't know, they, they're really epic for me. And I really, uh, I really enjoy having them as a companion over the years because certain times I prefer the earlier one, certain times I prefer the older one or, or the, the later one. Um, and it's just a... a a work of art mm -hmm. i i was recommended um glengold at, at school before university and i yeah i totally totally get what you mean if you could have a drink with any musician dead or alive who would it be and what would you ask them <laughs> i I'll, I'll just go with the the answer that i would probably give the most j.s bach yeah i wouldn't really want to sit there and chat with him though I think I, I just want to sit with him at a table and just have tea or coffee or something and just and just observe him doing human things. 
<laughs> that would be very interesting for me. Just very, you know, he doesn't even need to talk. Well, and also he he Just... wouldn't be aware of like how he's perceived now or like your mm-hmm. understanding yeah. of him. Yeah, I just want to see him, you know, have a piece of toast or hang a towel or something, something just very normal. Well, because he was, he was, I know, I know he's an extraordinary, oh my God, like the most prolific musician ever, but just he was ordinary and he was kind of like deemed ordinary to a a certain extent, right? So exactly. If you read about, um, just his life. I've been to the um, his. I've been to Leipzig, where there's a museum, obviously, and uh, where he used to work. And you see all of these artifacts, so you you can, you know, hypothetically put together a picture of you know J. S. Bach, this ordinary family man that was uh, an extraordinary. And that's really downplaying it musician um just just uh (laughs) incredible um but i would just like to witness it in real time (laughs) i i I went to leipzig uh with adam actually as we we started making both of us started making videos and then we neither of us have finished them um because we were over in germany for a toman event and we just like let's go to leipzig let's go to the museum i'd never been and um the the thing I really I've I took away from it was just the the deadlines. It's like he had so many deadlines, like weekly, daily deadlines he had to meet, and that's why he was so prolific. And it's just like if you don't have, I think if there is a misconception, if someone you know doesn't necessarily know all that much about him, and understand that that was why he produced so much in his lifetime, it's like set yourself deadlines like actually figure it out whether it's youtube videos every week or whether it's just writing an exercise or something it's just like that's how to obviously i'm not saying i'm not saying youtube videos can be compared to bucks bucks no um, gives the structure uh, by the way side uh question how what's your deadline what what yeah what what do your YouTube deadlines look like? I upload at least once a week, but it can be three times a week. And I really like uploading. I really love uploading on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday um, because I've got little things like I love I love doing these long form interviews. Um, so those are Tuesday talks, uh, which I kind of started to uh, dwindle out. But then I was like, no, I miss it. I miss talking to people. I miss I miss you know so I brought it back even longer form and then um Thursdays are usually like guitar specific videos about something strange and weird and then Saturdays are usually original music stuff which you know don't necessarily do as well um as the guitar videos and you know even the long form interviews don't do as well but they just make me happy so I just always want that to be like the base of the channel yeah that's so important. I, I I admire that structure and also what you said there at the end about including those things because they matter to you and they make you happy. That's so important to um, be aware of. Mm. How what well, how often do you set aside time to actually sit down and make a video with all the other things you've got going on? 
And especially, you know, with the PBS stuff too, last year. Well, now I'm not with PBS. Um, so that has freed up my video making side of the brain. Um, I guess when, when I see a, a project in the horizon, I start making a video, for example, if, if a composer's birthday comes up that I want to make a, a how to sound like video, I would do that. Um, and because a lot of the videos just follow the, the natural progression of things that I'm doing with my music projects separate from the video space, although there is a constant overlap, um, it'll just mirror uh, what I'm doing. So if I'm doing projects that really don't, can't involve video, um, maybe for a specific reason, or I just don't see it fitting, then I'll be quiet in the video space. And if I'm maybe really pursuing uh, learning a specific type of music or something new, um, I'll, I'll usually incorporate that into a, a genre video. And then um, a lot of the piano-centric videos, uh, they're really centered around things that I'm doing for myself to really just practice and work on my craft. And at a certain point, um, I'll organize what I've been doing or the, the product of that into a video and just share something so that other people can take notes and apply it to their own practice or whatever it is. But um, with those types of flows, uh, uh, those types of um, recurring things happening, I would say about once a month has been my, <laughs> my um, upload frequency. But that may... That may change to be less frequent or more more frequent, but on average, if you look at the year, it's twelve to fifteen videos. I'd, I'd say. I think it, it it just depends what kind of content. When you're making the videos, you're making like I can only imagine like how many hours they take. Yeah, they take a lot. Yeah, time. there's a reason. There's a reason I do these sorts of videos where I'm like, okay, we just both set up cameras, set up the audio, and then. But listen, this will take a long time to edit too, just because you're dealing with large files and you have to check everything so yeah but it's a lot easier than you're a hard worker <laughs> it's a lot easier than, than you might think um okay tell me about your favorite piece of music gear or piece of tech which doesn't have to be music related um and the story behind it favorite piece of music gear i'd say my zoom h5 <laughs> because i've uh had it's this has been my primary recording device for audio since starting YouTube and I've always felt like I didn't understand how to use it um, because I'd make different types of mistakes with it and then I went through a phase where I thought that I really needed to upgrade it into something I just thought you know I just don't have the right thing the equipment um, but I've just stuck with it and I think through persistence I just feel comfortable handling it now which is why I'd say it's um, my favorite thing because it, I use it for basically everything um, yeah it's not it's not the greatest piece of uh, equipment but it certainly allows me to capture <laughs> capture what I'm playing and put it into a video so it, I, I like things that are practical and it's very small. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lesson 
uh, I'll take away from that is like it's it's the learning to use what you have rather than always thinking that if you get the next upgrade, the more expensive thing, especially when it comes to music gear, which we know is so expensive or camera gear. Oh, my God. Um, I I was umming and ahhing about upgrading my cameras and then I just realized, oh, wait, I can look on YouTube and make sure I'm using all the right settings. Suddenly everything got a whole lot better. So, yeah, learn, learn what you have um, and then it will put you in a better mindset of using it and everything like that. I couldn't agree more. Um, I've, I've got a, a zoom, uh, H6 that I just, yeah, I couldn't believe quite how good it was. I only got it earlier this year because I was working for Shaw microphones. So I felt a, a very brand specific loyalty towards them, obviously when I was working for them, but yeah. Um, okay. Final, final question. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Based on the way that you're prepping it, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's so easy. Um, if you could give your younger self a word of musical advice, what would it be? Um, don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, don't take yourself too seriously. Because um, at a young age, you're, and this was my experience for sure, but in general, I feel like it's very easy to be influenced by other people's goals and other people's um, sense of mm, not ego but just other people's standards that rub off on you before forming your own so if you're around people that are imposing this grand uh, vision for themselves and for others and you're not quite ready for that I feel like you could be infused with this sense of, you know, everything has to be so epic. <laughs> and uh, especially the, the environments that I've grown up in and, and been in school in, um, I feel like that was a big part of my experience. And it wasn't until I got older where I started to realize, you know, it's really don't take yourself so seriously it's it's not that it's not that um grand everything in life and music and um yeah i would i would definitely say that to myself um you know how about you well i think that's the perfect way but like a way to end the interview but i i totally agree um it's it goes back to the whole thing to round the whole interview off in terms of like how how you describe yourself to certain people and like I'm not ashamed of eventually calling myself a YouTuber because you know it might not be seen as like the most um I don't know especially in like academic fields and it, it can seem so frivolous but when you actually understand what it's doing for for the community like the music community the world and like how it's going to move forward it's actually it's probably one of the most exciting things to be part of. So it all comes from not taking yourself too seriously to be able to start learning how to make a video about something. And I show myself learning things and making mistakes on things and share those sorts of embarrassing moments. And it's just like with that sort of personality um, comes a lot. It's just the communication between certain people is just suddenly a lot better and suddenly we realize that we've all gone through the same things and that's really 
wonderful and humbling and nice and yeah it's also accessible I'd say that to myself uh you know a few months ago as well don't take yourself so seriously I think it's something that I I think I really need to keep reminding myself throughout the years even regarding YouTube what you said I when I edit and put together a little project I get super specific and concerned about having things exactly the way I want it and um, I have a just just a very high standard in terms of how I'm going to edit it and what kinds of animations I'll put in all of that and I feel like at times I'm getting a little too precious with it and it's the same type of thing I'm taking it too seriously in terms of being so exact um, and that's not always necessary so I would say the same thing to myself to, now. well <laughs> to just to end you know in terms of like a positive note of what you're doing like it's there's a time and place for that and that's why you've created this catalog of videos that are just so beautifully made and like you finish them it's not like you don't finish them you know you you get them finished you know how to start and end a project which so many people don't know how to do um especially when they're perfectionists so y you are able to deliver but maybe there's like a type of content that you could make that doesn't require that maybe i don't know just this is selfish as well this is me wanting you to upload every week <laughs> <laughs> what what I can think, i learn um, from you <laughs> what can i learn from you I, I've, I've learned a lot from you and i appreciate what you say what you're saying here at the end um i think it's just i if there's something a word to summarize this whole talk between us two today i think the word balance comes to mind because a lot of things have to do with being aware of where you could maybe improve or kind of step back from um, but at the same time just embracing how things are you know if, if they're not perfectly the way that you want it to be maybe there's there are pros to that as well so amen <laughs> yes this was awesome thanks for having me thanks for coming on i have learned so much from nare and this conversation has inspired me to take a look at the fundamentals as well as reignite my interest in classical and jazz music. So look out for videos on that soon. I hope you enjoyed it. Now for information on the sponsor of this entire series. More than 250,000 artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music, including myself. If you're wanting to have your music available on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Tidal, amongst many more stores, then you should sign up using the link in the description. An account starts at just $19.99 for unlimited songs and albums in 12 months. And with the link in the description, you will get 7% off your first year. I just want to acknowledge the strange time we are currently living through. I'm aware that many people are suffering and maybe you found yourself with a lot of spare time. I just want you to be encouraged to, I don't know, create something new and not worry about what other people think and instead just finish something and put it up on the internet. If you're writing and producing music, then I can't recommend DistroKid enough. It's so easy to use. So a massive thanks to them for making this series possible and check out the link in the description for that 7% discount. But otherwise, I will see you soon.